0: In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been 40 years now, and Fangoria is better than ever, each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head to Fangoria.com to learn more and to, well, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15% off your subscription. That's Fangoria.com, promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15%. It's gentlemen, I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem AMA, where you can ask me anything, and we are live atop the Montauban Theater in Hollywood, USA, hey. at Camp Fangoria with a live audience here, and soon, people will, will refer to this night as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hey! So Joe Russo, our producer, is gonna ask me your questions, and we will have this up and running in another week or two, a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, so uh, so this week on Twitter we ran a poll to talk about what our main topic tonight was going to be about. Uh-oh. And uh oh. And, and, and I don't uh, know what it was. And and it's gonna be a surprise to Mick. So we're actually we're gonna talk about the Fly Two. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Woo! Okay. Yeah,
1: that was our that was our top winner on the poll.
0: Okay. So
1: Mick, we're <laughs> yeah. going to talk about yes the fly. So yeah, uh, let's let's go back in time. Yeah, let's talk about the fly because that's talk, a no, great no, 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 no. movie. We're going to talk about the fly yeah. too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so okay, so the fly obviously is, is was a massive hit and and a cultural touchstone. And uh, how did you get involved with the sequel?
0: I actually um, knew David Cronenberg. Uh, I had done publicity for him on scanners and Videodrome. And I was actually working for Steven Spielberg for Amazing Stories. And that led to a bunch of other jobs, uh, including um, Hocus Pocus and Batteries Not Included, a bunch of things like that. And uh, so actually, Cronenberg recommended
1: me as really? someone. Yeah. I was going to ask if Cronenberg kind of gave his blessing, so it sounds like he did.
0: He gave his blessing. I don't think it was his idea. Sure. But, um, but he was very supportive of it. And it was a, a initially a really great experience because um, Mel Brooks's company, Brooks Films, produced that film. And I got to work with Mel Brooks, who is an incredibly intelligent and educated and knowledgeable story guy. How did he get the
1: rights to the fly?
0: you know? Well, it was through 20th Century Fox, but um, Stuart Kornfeld, who worked for him as a producer, had brought in uh, David Lynch and The Elephant Man before. So a lot of people don't realize that Mel Brooks produced The Elephant Man as well as The Fly and Fly 2. So um, I was getting offered studio movies to write because I had been knighted by King Spielberg. (laughs) And so people who didn't even read anything I'd written before, were offering me jobs without reading anything I'd written. And so this was an opportunity. I came up with an original story, uh, very much more, shall we say, sophisticated, without it sounding snooty, um, <laughs> than, than than what the movie was that eventually got made, best known for its dog slaughter. But, um, <laughs> right. you know, the I think the, the Cronenberg movie of The Fly is... Maybe the greatest monster movie ever made, but it's so much more than that and so much deeper and richer and more emotional. And that was something something that had a social consciousness. And the, the sequel that I had come up with was very political and very socially conscious, but without being
1: preachy. Uh, but they changed... Well, before we get into that, I'm curious, okay. like, so when you went in to meet with Mel Brooks's company, yeah, what did they have any direction for you? Did they say, we want it to be this, we want it to be that? Or did they kind of give you full slate to... They
0: asked me for my pitch, and right. I, I had come up with an idea that I'm still working on as a non-fly movie, <laughs> but, uh, but that had to do with abortion and the right to life and all of that stuff, even back uh, when this was being written back in the 80s. Oh, wow. Uh, it was a pretty powerful thing. And you're talking about Veronica Quaif being impregnated by Seth Brundle and what do you do with the child of the fly? And it, it went into a lot of those questions. It, it became less important in the movie that got made.
1: Right, right, because yeah. they ended up writing that character off pretty much at the at the jump, well, they couldn't get Gina Davis. <laughs> they couldn't get Gina Davis back. So, uh, but everything. but when your original pitch would have focused more around her character, then completely. And,
0: well, and the kid, who well, they did use several of my ideas, including his birthday that opens the movie and the accelerated right. um, speed in which he matures and the powers that he has and and that sort of thing. So that was very much a part of it, but they changed heads of studios. Scott Rudin, oh. one of the most cultured producers of great films in Hollywood, was my studio executive. Wow. Oh, wow. And at the time, um, they, uh, they wanted a Teenage Monster movie. Scott didn't, but Leonard Goldberg, of spelling Goldberg, uh, great works of art like The Love Boat, <laughs> uh, that you know, um, was the head of Fox at the time. He wanted a teenage monster movie. And so my next draft was more along those lines, trying to keep those elements, trying to keep it smart and respecting what Cronenberg did by making a movie that wasn't for the horror audience. It included the horror audience, but was much more wide-reaching.
1: Did day. you ever sit down and talk to David about your take? No. No,
0: no. No, David wasn't involved at all and didn't want to be involved at all.
1: I, I, I can understand.
0: Yeah. Um, so there was that fight, and then I was offered Critters 2, a green-lit movie for me
1: to rewrite and direct. Which, amazing movie, right, guys? Critters 2? <laughs> <two>? It <laughs> Thank is. Thank you. It Thank is. You You made well, the right choice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it uh, it still plays at festivals all around the world, and I haven't seen Fly 2 in a long time. But, but Anyway, so that's the story of, of what happened with Y.: So basically
1: they, they started to take what was the original idea and they kind of started tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. Well, and then
0: they got more and more involved in wanting to change it. And it was frustrating to Rudin, too, who is, uh, like I said, an incredibly smart producer and someone who I felt very fortunate to work with. And that's a rare feeling about producers. <laughs> so it w- it was a really great opportunity.
1: Tell me about working with Mel Brooks, though. That must have been pretty pretty wild, right? Mel
0: Brooks at a party is really funny. Mel Brooks in a meeting is dead serious. Really? Yeah, and really sharp and really has smart questions and great notes. And he's obviously really, really well-educated and well-read and it was a a total exciting opportunity to work with you know the 2000 year old man yeah sure and and and, you know blazing saddles and farting around a campfire and working on this opportunity you know to do was there
1: any note that kind of just he said that just opened your eyes to some new possibility this is 30-some years ago, so
0: I don't remember <laughs> if there was or not.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough, fair yeah. enough. Well, I think we'll open it up to the floor for questions. It's time for you guys to ask Mick anything. So I'm going to get up and go around, and uh, they'll ask their questions, and Great. you're going to be on the hot seat. All right. Well, All right here well, we go. It's oh, cooling down, so right that's there. nice. Yeah, yeah. th- okay, first question. What's your name? Uh, Max. Max. Oh, my oh. name is Max. Max. Um, I actually just saw the fly two for the first time in thirty five mm in Los Angeles at the Dynasty Typewriter, uh, and I was hooked. It was wonderful. Um, thank so many you. gooey, wonderful details. Um, how do you find getting into that, getting that into the story when it comes to like explaining how it looks and how it comes across?
0: Well, there's always the explanation. You don't want to over-describe because there's going to be a director and that director is going to be working with Makeup Effects team and, and that whole thing. And it was rewritten after I left the project, first by Frank Darabont and then by Jim and Ken Wheat, who wrote the production draft. So you try and visualize as much as you can without trying to put the director in creative jail. Um, and a director is going to overrule if he has a better idea anyway so but one of the things that works well about fly 2 about the resultant movie was that it is pretty uncensored when it comes to the graphic nature uh, especially you know I've only seen the movie twice uh, since since it was made uh, but the most memorable thing, of course, is the dog scene and everybody. I'm a vegan, and people get mad at me for that all the time. So, Who's next? Axel. Axel.
1: Go ahead. Hi, Mick. I'm a big fan of actress Cynthia Garris, and I was wondering (laughs) if there was any chance she would be in one of your productions soon.
0: Well, uh, my wife Cynthia has been in in lots of the films that I've done. She was in The Stand, and she blew up real good. She was in The Shining as the Ghost in Room 217. She was Zanti in Critters 2 and has been in a lot of the—mostly I Kill Her— and it's been great for the relationship. Um, she, she does have a, a medical issue that keeps her off her feet, uh, so um, we have not done a lot of work together with her in front of the camera at this point, but uh, I think there's still something waiting in the wings for her as, as time goes by.
1: Who's next? What's your name? Yeah. Uh, Russell. I have a question. Um, I just heard about the success of Nightmare Cinema, and I was wondering, because the story has so much, uh, uh, you can play around and so much in the idea of Nightmare Cinema, is there going to be a sequel? Is that going to be a drawn-out TV series? What's the plan on that?
0: We are working on both concepts. It was originally conceived to be a follow-up to *Masters of Horror* as a weekly, hour-long series that was more focused on international filmmakers. And the original idea I had was to shoot each one in a different country with a filmmaker from that country. But my ambition and the ambitions of uh, network TV are at loggerheads, and uh, so. But we are talking with the with the financiers and the producers about a follow-up. Uh, sequel and the idea of the weekly series is now uh, something in discussion as well but thank you so much for that it was a lot of work oh. putting that movie together and it's something we're all really proud of now back to the show what's your name john hi on sleepwalkers there's a great scene what, moving through the crime sequence with clive barker and stephen king and everybody and how Toby much fun Hooper. Yeah, how much fun was it to shoot that? Any good stories? Uh, It was the most amazing thing in the world. First of all, it's not just a scene. It's one shot with the three of them. There are no cuts in it. And in fact, if you cut it right after Stephen King gets told to buzz off by the sheriff, no one would ever notice it was missing. But it was the first time I'd met Stephen King. We'd only talked on the phone, and we'd only communicated by fax, the studio would have some notes. I would talk to him about changes. And the next day in the fax machine, there'd be six pages that he wrote that were brilliant. And it was great. But um, that was the day he came. He was only there for two hours. That morning at my morning granola uh, at craft services, I broke a crown and had to go down the hill from Franklin Canyon, right here in the middle of LA. And I had to go down to my dentist and get a temporary crown. And I've got, come on, hurry up. Stephen King is coming. And I've never met him before. So um, it was so great because Clive and I had worked together for a while and we were friends. And Stephen King made Clive's bones basically by giving him a quote for his first books that i have seen the future of horror and his name is clive barker and that was on the books of blood and it really opened the united states to clive barker in a way that had never been done before. And then he, Toby had done The Mangler. So I thought, what a great opportunity to have the three of these guys all together in one scene, in one shot. And it was so much fun. And King was basically playing a clean, smarter version of Geordie Verrill from Creepshow. You know, still the village idiot, but uh, <laughs> but he he isn't covered with green shit. And then Clive, of course, is part of the uh, the the... Mortuary team and and Toby is uh, is doing his job. So the three of them interacting together. It was mainly for us, Google gobble us, you know, ones of us.
1: We got a question over here, Mick. What's your name? Uh, Cody. Um, on Sleepwalkers again. How was it uh, working with Glenn shaddix
0: Glenn shaddix was a really really wonderful guy. Um, He's the teacher uh, who gets his hand torn off in it. If he, I had first seen him in Beetlejuice, and he is so funny and so great and so wonderful. He was a very, very sweet guy to work with, and I felt terrible hanging him in a tree for one scene. Uh, it ended up not being in the movie. But... Um, but he, he was a real trooper and and he ran really well through the woods and through the brook in the woods and all of that stuff. So Glenn Shaddix, who is no longer with us, was really a wonderful Hollywood character actor, one of the best. And and the opportunity to work with people like that is what makes my job so golden and, and something that I am grateful for every single day of my life.
1: Over here, Mick. What's your name? I'm Paul. Uh, Salome is a terrific book. Uh, do you oh. have any more uh, fiction on the horizon?
0: Uh, thank you. Salome is my second novel. And uh, actually, here at Camp Camp Fangoria, I can announce that Fangoria is publishing my next book, which includes Salome, but it's also four novellas. And uh, <laughs> thank you. And it's called Awful People. And uh, it has a couple of uh, originals in there. Uh, including a new one called Free, that is uh, pretty intense. And uh, not many people know about the fiction side, so I appreciate you asking questions about that. I'm just lucky I don't have to make my living writing books. So, (laughs) Uh, anybody else have questions? Right over here.
1: Over there. i got my workout. Yeah, (laughs) it's
0: good for you, Joe, good for the heart. (laughs) What's your name?
1: Dan. Hi, I'm Dan. Sorry, this is going back to really, really back in time. Ten-year-old um, uh, me watched Batteries Not Included <laughs> a ton of times, and I was just uh, kind of curious, um, uh, the movie that ended up on the screen, how much of it was your story, and how much was uh, Brad Bird? Um, and, and Matthew this, Robbins. And, and the, yeah, and the inspiration for it?
0: Well, the original story was written by Spielberg, who, it was going to be an Amazing Stories episode. Stephen came up with 22 story outlines, <clears throat> and I was hired to be story editor. So a couple of the ideas were by Steven that I wrote and uh, by various writers. and actually, all of the ideas for season one were by Stephen. And then I wrote the screenplay, and then he said, "You know, I want to turn this into a feature." And he had worked with Matthew Robbins before uh, on Sugarland Express. Uh, Matthew Robbins and his writing partner had written Sugarland Express. So, he brought in Matthew to direct the first episode that I wrote, The Magnet Kid. And so, Matthew brought in Brad Bird. Uh, so, th- when they did that, then Stephen decided, you know, Batteries Not Included is a good enough idea for a feature film. So he asked he gave me the choice between two different stories that he'd come up with. One was called Ghost Kid and the other one was Gramps and Grammy and Company, which became batteries not included. And he said you can adapt either one. We're going to turn both into a feature. Ghost Kid became Ghost Dad with Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> I made the right choice. <laughs> So it was Steven's idea, but uh, but it was Matthew Robbins, the director, who brought in Brad Bird, who was a brilliant guy and a great animator and has become a, a wonderful director in his own right uh, in animation and in live action.
1: We have about five more minutes, so anybody else have questions? Where are they? There's one.
0: Ah, I see novelist Aaron Dries in the back row there. Very talented novelist, Aaron Dries, and everybody should read his books.
1: That's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's um,
0: here from Australia, just got here.
1: Hi. Uh, Hi, Mick. Can you tell us a little bit about the stand Blu-ray that's coming out and uh, the challenges
0: in the road to that actually happening, inexplicable as it may actually be? (laughs) I just found out about it two weeks ago by reading a post online. I have said for years there will never be a Blu-ray of the stand because the stand was shot on 16-millimeter film and was all the post-production was done in standard definition video because there was no high-definition video. To do a Blu-ray would mean to go back to the beginning, go back to the cut negative, negative, which and reconform everything to HD, whether it's 4K or just HD, And uh, so I thought, nobody's going to spend the money to do that. Well, Paramount Home Entertainment and CBS Home Entertainment did spend the money to do that. And I just met the technicians who did the transfer and the work. And they showed me A-B comparisons and everything. And it's going to look better than it ever looked. You know, it was made for broadcast, so it has never been screened on the big screen. So it's never been in high definition. So it was on the old CRT, the cathode ray tube when it when it aired in 1994 on ABC and then around the world. So then Sci-Fi Channel showed it for years and it was in standard definition. There was a blue uh, there was a DVD, but it was 4x3 and standard definition. But unbelievably they decided and I think it had a lot to do with them doing the reboot of the stand that CBS All Access is doing which is costing five times what our stand cost. Um, But I think that inspired them to go back, and it is the highest-rated miniseries in American television, I'm told, and 50 million people a night watched it, and each night it went up. And so it was. It, it was something kind of amazing. And they have found that there is interest in that. But the same guys who did all the reconstituting of the Star Trek um, 35 mm shows to Blu-ray uh, did this, and it looks amazing. So, so it'll be out in September. <laughs>
1: thank you. Well, and with that, Mick
0: Campers, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me and asking me anything. And thank you for coming out, and let's watch movies and have special events and drawings. And uh, you can ask me anything on future shows by uh, contacting me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mick PM Joe Russo tweets.
1: Thank you, everybody. Have a great that's night. That's it.
0: Have a great one. Thanks. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to Producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's at Mick Garris PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, mickgarrisinterviews.com.
1: Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.